Welcome to the Zwift SBS podcast. Zwift is the app that turns indoor training into a game. With structured workouts, training plans and massive online group rides to make your training fun. Because fun is results. Fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Bonjour, 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 and uh, welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Before we start, uh, let me remind you that you can uh, download, stream, or subscribe to our podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash central. And of course, you can schedule the rides with our friends at Zwift. Joining me, like every week, is of course Dave McKenzie. How are you, Micah? I am very good, thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. Hopefully, this is one of the last one we'll do uh, online uh, and we'll talk about all this, but uh, we might actually finally meet again. You know, we never know. We never know. We never know. You know what? The virtual stuff, it's been working, but uh, yeah, it will be good to see you in person. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Joining us today in the podcast, because we will talk about the, the life post-COVID uh, and post-drama and the opportunities of all this, is Craig Richards. Craig Richards is the CEO of Bicycle Network. Uh, they're doing an amazing job at making uh, the infrastructure work for everybody. And yeah, let's have a whole chat about the post-COVID. How are you, Craig? Good, thanks. A bit of a crunch time for you guys, I guess, because uh, coming out of this coronavirus, it looks like people are exciting again, uh, excited again to uh, uh, to jump on a bike. Yeah, look, it's really it's probably something you wouldn't have predicted at the moment when COVID-19 happened. We certainly weren't there thinking, hey, this is going to be a real upswing in the huge number of people riding bikes. It's been extraordinary, really, and we've seen it right around the world that suddenly people who had fallen out of love with bike riding have got back on the bike. Either they've dusted the bike off out of the shed or they've gone and bought a new bike and they've started riding. But it really is this crunch time because we're now faced with this moment as our world starts to go back to normal. Um, is this bike riding thing just going to be a fad or is it going to be something they're going to keep doing? Now, this is a great opportunity and obviously we're working as hard as we can at Bicycle Network to make sure that post-COVID-19 as people's lives go back to their new normal. Craig, uh did you have to scramble at all? Because as you said, we probably didn't. I don't think any of us in the cycling world expected there to be this big boom. So as an organisation, did you suddenly have to sort of go, whoa, we've got to jump on this? And if so, what were the, what were the first sort of one or two points in your mind that you thought, right, this is what we've got to focus on? Yeah, look, it was interesting. I guess our, our first moment came. I know we did some bike counting first in Australia when the moment came where it was... Oh, actually workplaces are starting to close down. Um, but we still saw the number of people commuting by bikes just going up and up as people were looking to keep their physical distance. So that was the first moment. Um, it obviously seems an eternity ago now, but it's only three months that we went, hey, we really think there's something in this. And then we saw quickly around the world that other cities who had been hit um, more quickly were adjusting and people were getting back on the bike. So we certainly went, hey, this is a situation where there is an opportunity when for other people in um, kind of sports and recreation, suddenly they were left not being able to do anything. Suddenly their activity completely collapsed. And we saw people, um, particularly once they got into this sort of lockdown in Australia, where they were just going through this process of elimination, going, there's only a couple of things I can do. I can go to the supermarket, I can walk around the block, or I can ride my bike. So suddenly this process of elimination created this... Um, perfect storm for bike riding and you know there's that old saying which is a Winston Churchill saying which is never let a good crisis go to waste and so hopefully from the bike perspective we can really make sure we capitalize on it. 
I think we just uh, found out the uh, the title of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, if we look at uh, what's happening across the world, uh, and specifically actually in Europe, uh, I know there's big investment made in France, in Italy, in the UK, uh, to use cycling, to use bikes as a way to go back to the new normal. Uh, should we do the same here? And, and do we see the same thing happening with the governments, either locally, statewide, or, or just federal? Yeah, absolutely, we should do that. And it has been incredible. One we one things we always talk about is how to get more people riding and to make sure that when they're riding, they're well looked after, is providing better places to ride really matters for lots of people. Um, and we've seen in lots of cities, particularly through Europe, but also in other places as well. You know, we've seen them in obviously in Paris, Berlin, Athens has just committed a lot recently, but other places like Bogota as well. Um, they've increased the number of places to ride and walk for people who want to make sure they can get their physical activity while still making sure they have their physical distance. Um, while the roads are quiet, they have turned things around incredibly quickly and things that normally take years have taken days or weeks to happen. Um, where are we at in Australia? It's just starting. So we'd, Sydney is just committed to, um, to making a change. Melbourne looks like it's going to commit as well. There are some things happening, but we have been a bit slow to react in Australia. Unfortunately, often we have this um, difficult situation in Australia. We have these three levels of government, and that means we move, unfortunately, much slower. Like you think of something fairly simple and say, oh, well, take one city, Melbourne or Sydney or wherever. Um, we have lots of governments involved, so it has made it slower, and each government, I find, tends to look at one another and say, oh, that's a local government's problem, oh, that's a state government's problem. Maybe the federal government should take care of that. I think that holds us back in Australia from moving as quickly as we could because this opportunity, it's sort of like this um, perfect storm. We've got to do it now. We don't have months and months to spend on this because in months' time, the opportunity could be lost. Craig, um, and I guess to add to that, and, and it's a question and maybe a bit of a statement, in Australia, we have traditionally been gas guzzlers. You know, our governments have supported the motor industry, whereas in Europe, probably the last 30, 40 years now, and even well before that, you know, the push bike has always been a, a main form of transport. Is that another barrier, I guess, to try and break through to the governments and, and sort of make them realise? And do you, are you sort of, banging on their doors saying, hey, look at what France is doing, look at what Paris is doing. Do you use that as an example? Yeah, we always do. We've always said for some time, look, everyone knows the answer to this. When they look at the bike, particularly in that urban environment, they say, well, humans just need to move around. So how do we move around? And you look at things and go, what's the most cost effective, the most space effective, the most energy effective? Um, and but then bikes have this other advantage, of course, they're the most healthy um, means of transport we possibly have. So we're always talking to the governments about that. But you're right, Australia is very slow to catch on. When it comes to our cities, the solution has always seen the same. And this is a solution that we say passes the barbecue test a bit. When you, people are at a barbecue and they're complaining about congestion to their friends and going, oh, it takes so long to get around in my car. And they say, oh, if only we built more, more lanes on the freeway. Everyone goes, oh, let's build more lanes on the freeway. Now, we've all known for years that doesn't work. Adding more lanes to the freeway, it has this thing called induced demand, which just means more lanes, more cars. It actually takes longer once you build more lanes. But in Australia, we're addicted to it. Um, our politicians keep doing it because the public want that. And they know that if you want to get votes and you want to get voted in, a great way thing to say is we're going to build more um, freeways, more lanes on the freeway. But unfortunately, what we all know also is it doesn't get us around any quicker 
because of the space limitations, but that's where the bike can really solve our problems. I've been a, an advocate of uh, electric bikes for, for a long while. I got my uh, fair share of slack from uh, Mr. McKenzie, but I think I'm slowly uh, converting him to uh, the benefits I'm, of electric I, bikes. Listen, <laughs> I am into electric bikes, all right? Just not on velodromes. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's a bit of an ongoing story, but... Uh, um, are, are electric bikes really probably one of the solutions for this, for people realizing that, you know what, you can turn up to work and not be sweaty as, uh, but also be quick and then, you know, be energy efficient? Yeah, I think it's still early days for e-bikes in Australia, but we're very confident that it's going to change. You know, in Europe, they sell one e-bike. One, sorry, every three bikes sold, one is an e-bike. So the sales are really strong in Europe. In Australia, it's still early days. It's still fairly expensive in Australia as an entry-level bike. You know, it's around 2000 for an entry-level e-bike, although the Audi, of course, had some special a few um, months ago where they had an e-bike under $1,000, and I think people got excited. But I think it can make a big difference in Australia, and I know we're very supportive of the e-bike because by um, the traditional e-bike, of course, you're still pedalling, so you are still getting your physical activity, which is different from some bikes which have been modified, like if they're throttle-controlled and you just sit there and use the throttle well they are space efficient but they're not efficient from the health perspective so i do think in australia e-bikes have a real place to play in the future as we um our cities are just going to keep growing the population is going to you know it's destined to go up by a significant amount space will get tighter so e-bikes are a good solution but you know we do hear from time to time other cyclists and maybe um mr mckenzie you were one of them who say e-bikes are cheating um we don't think they're cheating as long as you're still pedaling and they do meet that standard called the pedal x standard yes no you know what we're, we're all going to uh end up on an e-bike one day i i know i will hopefully anyway because uh, i want to keep riding uh, all the way to the end um craig just to sort of digress slightly to some of the events that you guys run and my first thought uh, today when I knew we were speaking to you was about the Great Big Bike Ride. It's this iconic event that has been run by you guys that I think many Victorians, obviously, and even people around Australia that have got to know over the years. How uh, is that event? And I guess your, you know, your number of events that you run throughout the year, are they going to get off the ground? Are you going to have to put some back into 2021? Or where's all that sitting at the moment? Yeah, look, our events, and we love our event program, and they do so much for people and their experiences people have on their bike, whether it's a great Victorian bike ride or we run around the bay in the day or the Peaks Challenge up at um, Falls Creek as well. These are things people look forward to. Um, but obviously at the moment, the event program is unclear. We're not exactly sure where it's going. Um, we have to wait and see how we come out the other end of COVID-19. Obviously, as the restrictions get eased, we find out where that sits in terms of having people in mass gathering type situations. Um, it's too early for us to tell yet. We're preparing as if they're going ahead. But on the other token, we're also making sure we prepare to take appropriate precautions if they do go ahead, because there's a lot of things we'll have to put in place to make sure people are well looked after. But at this stage, it's just too early to say, I think, what's going to happen to um, mass participation events, not only in bike riding, but in other places in other sports and recreations in Australia as well. What are your plans for the next uh, few weeks, few months, as the, as the country is sort of easing up uh, into a, a more relaxed approach to, to all this and, and probably, you know, hopefully going back to a certain sort of normal? Is there anything you can tell us about what's, what's your, what you guys are planning to, to promote the, the pedal and the bikes? Yeah, window of opportunity. We're not sure how long it's going to last, but one of the key ones that comes about straight away is... Um, 
as students start to go back to school and we run a thing called the Ride to School program. So students are starting to go back to school um, you know, in the next few weeks and filter back to schools and it's a great opportunity to um, run a program which we're going to call Give It A Go because at this stage their parents are still home with them. One of the barriers to people starting to ride to school is parent are uh, concerned about their young person and once they work out they can do it most of the young people can do it. But it's a great opportunity to say, hey, while you're working from home and your young pupil is going back to school, get on the bike and driving them to, because you've all been riding around as families over the last few weeks as you've, you've got a bike, ride them to school. So that's something we're certainly going to focus on in the next few weeks as people go back to school, making sure the parents, this is your opportunity to give riding to school a go. And we think that's a great opportunity to provide a great legacy because once people start riding to school, they work out that, hey, it's not that difficult and you can ride all sorts of places you didn't think you could. So that's another one key one. Um, the other one, of course, is as people are going back to work, that's another key moment because um, what we all know is public transport in our cities isn't going to be able to fit as many people in. You know, the days of being stuck um, on a train or a tram or a bus packed in it's not going to be able to happen. We've got a great risk there because then people have got a choice to make. They might say, well, I'm going to get back in my car and we might lose public transport people back to cars. But we think this is a great moment to say, hey, let's move them to bikes. Um, and once they go on bikes, we think they'll love it. Funny, funny thing uh, you said is because uh, I spoke to one of my neighbours the other day and she used to drive 40 minutes to work uh, and she used to be okay with that. And then being stuck at home, working from home for a long time. She's now back at work in a car this week. And first thing she said, she was, geez, 40 minutes is a long time to lose each way. Uh, so she's now realizing that there's a cycling path next to her and she can go a lot quicker by, by just avoiding being stuck in those traffic jams. So mentalities are changing and will change. Yeah, we, we really think that's a great opportunity for people who haven't previously because what we've seen in Australia is there's a huge number of people who ride bikes for recreational purposes. There's about three and a half million people who ride every week for recreational purposes. But the number who actually ride to work, it's only a couple of hundred thousand. So there's a massive gap of people there who a lot of the barriers are already out of the way. They know how to ride, they've got a bike, um, but they don't ride to work. And we think that there's a great opportunity. And I guess, Craig, on that, Cycling Australia, the Amy Gillett Foundation, there's probably a couple of other organisations that I, I, I can't think of at the moment. Do you guys sit around a round table at, at all throughout the year? Because it seems like, give or take, you're all working for the same cause to get more people on two wheels. Uh, do you have, have that discussion with um, any of those organisations? Yeah, we do. Sort of once a year, we all try and get together, but you know, everyone's busy and et cetera. So um, it is one of the things that would be better in... Um, bike riding and cycling throughout Australia. If everyone could work closer together, I think it would be more effective. Um, so there's a lot to do there and to build those relationships that we could all work closer together, I think. And I've got one last question, but uh, we've seen in, in Europe, again, going back to this, but in France as well, they've got you know very cheap servicing, for example, a fixed price servicing for, for bikes, which is basically inciting people to get the old bangers as well out of the garage and say, hey, I can get it serviced for, for a few euros and then get it, uh, get it back on the road. Is it something that you could also influence or try to influence with with networks of, of bike shops or, or some 
try to set up something like this, which would, in, in a way, push people to just get on their bikes. Yeah, we, and I know you, you're talking about a program which in France they were giving people a 50 euro voucher to use at a bike shop as part of their economic stimulus, which I think is amazing. Um, bike shops have been really busy over the past um, weeks in Australia. I know a number of them as good as sold out of bikes and they've been run off, which has been fantastic because that could have been an industry that struggled. So, yeah, that's a good possibility. Another one we've... Um, advocated for uh, we started a little while ago which they also do in Europe is giving people tax rebates in effect paying them to commute um, because one of the economic differences we know overall as, as a society an average car commute, commute costs society $10 an average bike commute saves society $10 so we have in the past advocated how, how about returning some of that money back to the bike rider make the gap even bigger and we've advocated for paying people $5 a day to ride their bike to work because of the money that saves society. We think that's another good opportunity to revisit that because we are facing this moment, which is, as I say, through public transport, where people aren't going to be able to get on their on public transport. They're going to have to find a new alternative because um, they won't be able to be packed in and the bike's a great alternative. I'll, uh, keep, I'll, keep, I'll keep those numbers in mind next time someone shouts at me that I need to pay the road tax. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one more question, Craig, as well, and this could be a good one to end on. World Bicycle Day is on June the 3rd. I mean, I tell you what, it's another big opportunity to have a big party and put the push bike front and centre of everyone's minds, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So we are doing our, our day. What we're um, encouraging people to do on that day is just ride. Just have one ride that day. Don't let that the day, be the day that your bike sits in your, um, in your garage or your shed ride somewhere that day. And we've taken our inspiration there from a famous quote, and I'll get the word slightly wrong, which is from Eddie Merckx. And one of his famous quotes is, ride as long or as little or as far or as short as you like, but ride. So we are putting that program out. And that comes out tomorrow. We're saying, hey, World Bicycle Day is coming up, 3rd of June. Make sure that day you sit on your bike, take a photo, take a video, share it with everyone. Um, don't let your bike sit idle that day. Have you checked the weather forecast? Um, no, but we know it'll be fresh. We've, you know, this is, I think, the third <laughs> World Bicycle Day. We've done it twice. And both times, well, the first time we did it, it was absolutely stunning. Like, we, you know, the, the weather in the southern states was the sunniest day you could imagine. Um, last year was a little bit rainy. So we're certainly um, crossing our fingers. But even if they take a short ride on that day, you know, as... They say in Europe, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad clothing. Absolutely. That's a good one to add on. Thank you, uh, Craig Richards, for joining us. Good on you. Thanks so much for having me. So that was Craig Richards from Bicycle Network. Pretty encouraging if you know like you have all your life on a bike. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a latecomer, but I've always sort of been in around in bikes uh, being from Europe. Pretty encouraging if we can change the mentalities out of this uh, whole drama. That's pretty encouraging that you know the world may be changing to a new normal that includes two wheels and not necessarily four. It is. It is very encouraging. And look, the good work that Craig and his crew do, and, and there's other organisations out there and people around the world that are doing you know, a lot of hard work. And let's hope they just push all the right buttons to the government now, because now is the time, as we just said. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about uh, uh, our own post-COVID-19 uh, uh, world and, and a little bit of the world of professional cycling. We see in Europe, a bit less, of course, in the US and, and other parts of, of the world, but in, in Europe, where mainly all the riders are based, it's looking a little bit better. We can't be too over-optimistic, but it definitely is looking a bit better. It is. It is. I tell you what, we're, you can't help but get a little bit excited. Look, I'll admit, Christoph, and you and I have 
spoken regularly outside of the pod over the last couple of months. I told myself not to expect really any bike racing and therefore probably no work for the rest of the year. Anything that come would be a bonus. And now I'm actually starting to feel quite confident. And, you know, the signs are good. From a, from a human point of view, the signs are good in Europe now. And it's going in a positive direction. And they're opening back up. Riders are allowed out to train. Um, sporting, other sporting codes are beginning to restart, which is a good sign. So fingers crossed, it keeps going in this good direction. And we just may well have uh, world cycling back before the end of the year. And you and I, we've, uh, we've discussed this uh, off mic, but uh, it may actually end up being a very exciting season because once it starts, it's pretty much back to back. And we're going to get all the Grand Tours back to back with the classics into, into one. Questions about for you, uh, someone like we had in a podcast a few episodes ago, I can't remember, Durbo, how for someone like Durbo, how do you make a decision? Can you ride the Tour de France and concentrate on Paris-Roubaix? And therefore, he knows he's not going to do the Giro or the Vuelta because it's in the middle of it. Or is it too much? Is it too tight? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and uh, yeah, look, there's a number of riders like Luke Durbridge and in the women as well who, you know, Amanda Spratt, I mean, she's a good example as well. She, I think she'd love to do the women's Paris-Roubaix. Um, but there's other races like the Ardennes Classics that probably suit her better. So the one thing I think is the riders will be so much fresher than what they would have been normally. Um, their structure... The structure of training and everything is out of whack. You know, they've been doing a lot of indoors, that's for sure. The women who flew back to Australia, and it was mostly the women, I should say, they've obviously been allowed to train outdoors. Um, but time will tell. And what we will see is we will see riders flying. We will see riders dying in the third week of, the, of a Grand Tour. We'll see riders completely capitulating at times that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to. And you're dead right, Christoph. What we'll see ultimately, I think, is super exciting racing. Absolutely. And then, of course, there's this battle, uh, even for leadership, even, even, even before the racing is starting again. We see this at Ineos. We see this at Jumbo Visma. Uh, there's teams that have three leaders. Of course, they are those three personalities because they are three Grand Tours and they want to be safe on, on all of them. But now comes to this kind of season we have this year all those three leaders want to be leaders for the main one, the Tour de France. And we've yes. got the battle of, battle of, the, of, of, of the bosses. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. It's a, and it's another good point. Suddenly, riders that had their, their race program sorted, you know, at the end of the 2019 season and, you know, January or February of this year, suddenly now it's all been thrown, you know, out of whack. Um, if you do the Giro, you can't do the Vuelta. If you do the Vuelta, you can't do the Giro. You can do the tour and you can go and do one of these other races, but it's probably unlikely. So there's, there's so many different things now in shuffling and you're dead right. I mean, there was all these rumors of Chris Froome maybe leaving mid season. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I just can't see it happening. And because that, that transfer windows open opens at the start of August, traditionally, normally it wouldn't change anything for him at the Tour de France, but now because the tour starts later, there's that chance, but do you actually think, sorry to interrupt, but do you actually think this is putting a lot of pressure in someone like Bernal? Uh, because now Bernal is either, he affirmates himself to be, you know what, I am the leader of Ineos and Chris Froome, you move away. Or he's just left to go and, you know, I'm going to be crude, but shut up and then pedal for Chris Froome. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, it's uh, it's an interesting discussion, and I think first and foremost, if I was Egan Bernal, along with his Colombian compatriots, I'd be nervous about getting on a flight to Europe <laughs> because <laughs> although although stuck... we heard although we heard that Bogota is doing really well with Craig. Uh... Yes, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so look, they've got to make it. There's all these elements, you know, and that is, in, in all seriousness, that's one of them. They've got to make it back to Europe. They've got to be allowed to travel back into Europe. Uh, we are hearing countries are opening back up their borders. Um, and again, back to mostly some of the Australian pro women who have returned home, which I think was a good decision. But now they've got to make sure they can make it back to Europe in order to start. So there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of questions to be asked. And as much as we sort of speculate, at the end of the day, we do just need to sort of take the foot off the throttle and, and you know, let's just get to 1st of August. Let's get Strata Bianca underway. And then, you know, fingers crossed, the racing calendar will just continue. And like you say, it'll be jam-packed. And, you know, what I hope is come the end of about October, I'm really sick of hanging out with you, Christoph. <laughs> and I think we'll both be happy if that's the case, won't we? Absolutely. And then uh, actually one last question before you go. How is winter for you? You know, like you're not necessarily, I know we talked about it before, but I, I know I, I should not have been here. Uh, I should actually be in France and talking tennis at, the, at this time of the year. Uh, you would actually be already your head somewhere uh, heading to our summer again. Weather in Melbourne is horrific. Uh, how has this been going for you? Yeah, so far, so good. So far, so good. But I've said to my wife a couple of times, gee, this weather's pretty good. It's not so bad. I'm still wearing, you know, I haven't got the leg warmers out riding. I haven't got the second layer on casually. She's like, honey, it's not winter yet. It's actually officially <laughs> not winter. It is now, as we know, but only just. And, oh, yeah, I tell you what, the, the early nights, the dark evenings and the, the late sunrises are hurting me. I, I am a man who loves the sun, so but I'll suck it up. If that's my biggest problem to worry about, I'll tell you what, I've got no problems at all. So it's all <laughs> Absolutely. First world problem, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Micah, for joining the podcast again. Thank you very much. This was the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Uh, before we go, let me remind you that you can uh, uh, download, stream, or subscribe to this podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash central or log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Until next time, hopefully in person with Maca, it's bye for Before we go, a quick shout-out to Zwift, the app that turns indoor training into a game. Getting started on Zwift is easy. You just need your bike, a trainer, and your PC, Mac, or Apple device. Zwift offers training plans, interval workouts, and a global community. Get strong and get motivated with every ride. Give people a ride on, and you're sure to get one back, as together you enjoy the massive benefits of social indoor training. Go to Zwift.com today and start your free trial.